Dare we open Pandora's mystic box? To every generation, a slayer is born, except this time, there were six. This is the dimension of imagination. You are entering the mystic zone. Do you ladies see that aura? Something wonderful this way comes. Hello, welcome to the Mystic Order podcast. We are the mystics. My name is Mary, and I'm the narrator for this podcast. I am a nebulous mystic, and I'll just let everybody else introduce themselves. How about, to my right, the queen? Hello, I'm the queen mystic, and uh, we're also going to say a bit about our week in our introduction. Um, Something I did this week, and I want to shout out to the Mystic Prince, was I listened to his clips that he's just made of the best of 150 episodes from his Corona Diaries. I recommend it to you, and it's hilarious. He's a brilliant kid. He got it from his parents. Of course. And how about Mystic Margie? How about you? Hi. I had a wonderful week because I had to have my computer repaired, a new logic board, and I thought I'd lost everything. Turns out everything was in the cloud. Yeah. <laughs> Yay. Where is the cloud located? I don't somewhere in Nevada. It's, <laughs> it's out west in deep in the ground, I think. I think it's in in uh, where they see the flying saucers. Why Maybe. They, why don't they call it a ditch then if it's not in the sky? Cuz it's not mystical. Ah. <laughs> well, anyway, I thank my 99 cents a month extra for cloud storage yeah. because it it stored my stuff, so I'm not, you know, without any background. It'll store your stuff even if you don't pay the 99 cents. It just makes you take your pictures off occasionally. It'll go, you're out of iCloud. Room. I'm, I'm out of iCloud right now for the reason that I will tell about my mystic day. This is Mystic Joanne, and I am the Defender Mystic, and that is a whole story in and of itself. But um, my week was that... Austria opened up, and so I have two grandbabies that I have never touched living in Austria, and so I get to go and visit them. They had two babies during the pandemic? That's amazing. A lot of people had babies during the pandemic. (laughs) Yeah, but a lot of people didn't have two. That's true. So were they exactly nine months apart or what? Um, No, that is in my family, but no, they are twins, a little boy and a little girl, and they... They are delightful, and they had two, because as my daughter-in-law will tell you, they are just very efficient. Oh, very. Well, we would... She's very German, isn't she? She is very Austrian. (laughs) I hope we get some pictures, Mystic Joanne. What about Marion? Well, Marion's week, um, I didn't have big events like the rest of you did, but after 40 years of teaching and grading English papers, I had sort of a crash and couldn't read it was sort of like I had shock I was in shock yeah from the time I retired until this week I've got a really good eye doctor and I started reading again this week and that's been quite mystical and I'm reading fun books oh I see that kind of reading yeah (laughs) right that kind of reading well Well, we've got some recommendations for you in a little bit congratulations they're fun the books I'm reading are fun yay Marion all right, what about Mystic Katie? And by the way, I do want to say that this is Katie's first appearance back for season three. So welcome back, Katie. And, and it's her birthday. It's and it's, it's her birthday. birthday. Which so. is 
in itself mystical because I've made it this long, right? You know, you're 29. That's a good age. Right. (laughs) Yes. So um, I am the mystic truth teller, I think is my title. And it varies. I change it sometimes. But in all honesty, this has been just a week. It's been a busy week. But the most mystical thing that happened is that I had the grandchildren this week several times. And they sat down and painted rocks. And they had the most fun. So that turned into collecting rocks to paint because we started with a kit and then it turned into. So now my house is full of painted rocks. It's full of them. You can put a pathway. I think I may. Back to the dog pen. That's a good idea. I've I've done that before. I filled my house with painted rocks and painted them and hid them. And now it's just full of rocks to be painted. So maybe I'll bring you a bag of rocks. We need them. We need them. One time my husband said, why do you carry a bag of rocks? You never know. Did you have a good week, Mary? I did. I did some. I I hadn't even told y'all what my mystic mystic week had in door for itself that doesn't quite sound right but um I have been I have had so many plans I've never done in my life and then I made a little chart of how many months I probably have left if I live to be about 100 and I just don't have that many little boxes left and I realize I'm not going to waste any more of those months so I finally started a writing project that I have been putting off since about 1990 and that is to write a series of essays or S's about the summer of 1985. Essays are what? Well I accidentally said S's and then I nervously corrected and bantered that around. So what I meant to say Uh was a series of essays about the summer of 1985 which was a coming of age summer for me. It was the summer that um, my brother broke his neck, and I went to Africa in the same summer. So it's huge. Wow. And it's been sitting in my head for a long, long time. So I'm finally going to write about that summer, and I've started, and I'm going to do it, and I'm putting it out there publicly to make myself accountable. Okay, so that was our mystic introductions and our moments. Did I yes. miss anybody? I don't think so. Okay. Yay. Okay, so let's see. We did our mystic weeks, and now we want to talk about our mystic opus corner. What, what does that mean? Well, that's our, the book we recommend each week. Oh, all right. Well, because all the mystics read a book a week, I understand. So I thought especially we... Especially Marion. I read two. <laughs> Marion now, read two. She's now Marion can. Well, let's let Marion start that one since she's the fresh new reader. Well, I decided when I started back reading I wasn't going to read anything heavy or that taxed my brain. Mm-hmm. So the first book I read I thoroughly recommend... It's Mennonite in a Little Black Dress mm. by Rhoda Jansen. She's an English professor and a writing teacher. And a Mennonite. And a former Mennonite. She oh, was brought Mennonite. up Mennonite. She's very eloquent. And to me, the book's hilarious. I can't speak for anybody else's sense of And what's of the humor. name of it again? Mennonite in a Little Black Dress. I bought it because of the title. It's an excellent title. And that's why I buy my wine. And I also am right now almost done with Somebody's Dead in Snellville, which is a cozy mystery by a mobile writer named Patricia Sprinkle. And it's entertaining. It's entertaining, and it's an Alabama writer. Alabama writer, Patricia Sprinkle. It's set in Snellville, Georgia. 
Oh, Snellville. Uh-huh. Oh, I love it. I, I loved. I, I bought thought it. you said Smellville. Smell. Somebody's dead in Smellville. I also bought it because of the title. Who can pass up somebody's dead in Snellville? Oh, it's perfect. So by anyway, somebody named Sprinkle. So you know, gone are the days of Dante's Inferno for a little while. I'm sticking with things that delight me and help me sleep better at night. I I approve that as the narrator. <laughs> What about you, Joanne? What's your opus? Uh, my opus is Out of the Night That Covers Me by Pat Cunningham DeVoto, who is an Alabama writer. It's a coming-of-age book about, I guess it's a coming-of-age book about a young boy whose mother dies in the 1950s and is sent to his aunt's house, and it is his world is turned totally upside down. His mother would keep him in the basement during the summer, because there was polio epidemics going mm, on. That's and a true so story, because that, that happened when I was young. Were you well, kept, not were you particularly kept in the basement? The basement. <laughs> no, oh, our basement was filled up with coal, so that tells you what year I was born. <laughs> anyway, so he goes to live with his only relative and aunt, who has an alcoholic husband, who puts him immediately out in the cotton fields. So it's out of the night that covers me, black as a pitch from pole to pole. <laughs> I want to make a comment since you talked about the mother putting the child in the basement. Oh, dear. I didn't look at you, Mary, and I promise I didn't. (laughs) Yesterday morning when I was talking to Mama on the phone, she said, don't get kidnapped now. (laughs) (laughs) We all love Mama. I'm just going to leave it there. Well, is there a possibility of kidnapping? Not that I know of. <laughs> okay. Well, all right yeah. then. We all love Mama, but she is very protective of her only child, Marion. Well. That's right. There's some paradoxes there, but yes. <laughs> Gail, what would you like to say about a book you've read lately? Well, the book I am recommending highly is called This is Happiness by Nall Williams. And he's not an Alabama writer. He's an Irish writer. He was recommended by a Mississippian writer. My friend Rita Grimsley Johnson recommended this book. What I think recommends it the most is that it was my entire book club read it and not one person finished it because they were reading pages over and writing down phrases and underlining. So we've had to carry this book over to the next month because the vocabulary is beautiful. And if you are a Lover of books or a writer, this is the book for you. This is happiness. I cannot wait. I've written that down. What about you, Katie? So, uh, well, first let me second your comment about this is happiness because I just finished it, and I think I'm going to start it over again. It's just amazing. It's <laughs> just it. amazing. The word, the, yeah, the, he's just exquisite. But the book I was going to recommend is called The Final Revival of Opal and Nev, I don't know if y'all have heard about that. It is by a young writer named Donnie Walton, who, D-A-W-N-I-E. Donnie. Um, Donnie, yes, who is from Florida. The the premise of the book is that there's two musicians, who a, a black woman and a white guy, who in the 70s became quite the rage. And so you're following their story along with the story of uh, the first, uh, the woman who's the very first black editor of a, magazine much like Rolling Stone so it's all fictionalized but it's written as if it's a true story with things like footnotes and editor's notes it is just amazing and those of us who 
grew up in that era. I think everybody here at this table qualifies, but also even people who didn't, I think, will love it because you really get this feel for music, but also this great story as part of it. The final revival. Of Opal and Nev. Margie, what about you? What have you read lately you want to share with the listening world? Well, I'm having to pass on this one. Because I've just been painting. Okay. <laughs> We're gonna, we mystics have decided we can't all be brilliant in every way, every single time we podcast. We are brilliant oh, but in we every can. way. You, I disagree okay. totally. <laughs> well, I decided. Okay, so I had a book to recommend, and it's a book I read a while ago, and it was published in 2003. And it's called Don't Let's Go to the Dogs Tonight by Alexandra Fuller. And I decided to give it my mystic seal of endorsement for this podcast because we're sort of We've been talking about memoir lately, and it's an example of one of the best writings, memoir writings I've ever read in my life. It just so happens that she grew up in Africa. The subtitle is An African Childhood. And it does follow her exploits and her crazy family's exploits from Rhodesia to Zambia to Malawi. And there are huge things going on. There's civil war. There's racism, colonialism, violence. But there's also this underlying gorgeous tenderness and humanity that makes it in the top memoirs I've ever read in my life. And it was funny, when I was thinking I wanted to recommend it, I thought back to myself, what was this book about? And the parts that I remember aren't the big, huge, enormous, scary parts. They're the tiny parts, the little quotidian details of her life and what it was like just to live in such a complex world. And it could have taken place in anywhere. It didn't have to take place in a war-ridden country. So if you haven't read it, I cannot uh, recommend it highly enough. It's um, Don't Let's Go to the Dogs Tonight. And the sequel, it was so popular that she was asked by her fans to write another that focused more on her mother, who's a fascinating character. And that one is called Cocktail Hour Under the Tree of Forgetfulness which is such a gorgeous title. You have to read it just for that, speaking of titles. I'm interested to know how many of you mystics have read these books. The books I just talked about. Have you read uh, Mary's suggestions, Margie? Um, No, I have not. I've read it too. I think we read it in our book club. Maybe before my time. Oh, yeah. That's a great book. Fabulous. So that brings us on to um, our mystic stamp of whatever else we want to say is excellence. 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 The stamp of excellence. Margie has an excellent stamp. Yes. Yes. Since I passed, now I'll do my excellence. I would like to recommend an exhibition I'm in in Atlanta. It's called One Earth, One Chance. 70 artists stand for an end to global warming. And it's a great show. It's in Gallery 378 on Clifton Road in Decatur, Georgia, and be up through July. So I recommend, it's a really great show. I have two pieces in it, and my work concerns what will happen when the seas rise and how people will cope. They're two Margie, assemblages. what's that address again? How do we get there? It's 378 Clifton Road. It's in Decatur. It's, if you know... McClendon Drive, which is off of Memorial Drive. Anyway, it's behind the Flying Biscuit. Ah, just look for the Flying Biscuit. Look up the Flying Biscuit. Or just just put put it on Google Maps. Gallery 378. (laughs) So all you Atlanta fans, you get a chance to see Mystic Margie's work. And can you tell us how long it's running again? It's running through July 31st, and there is an artist talk next Saturday. What's the, 17th. the date of Saturday? July 17th. 17th. Yes. The reason I'm uh, hyper-focusing on these dates is the same reason I love being a mystic. <laughs> <laughs> is because this is our August podcast. 
but that's okay. <laughs> oh, well, you and, missed it. <laughs> I'll go ahead and get it edited like today and we'll put it out there in the world for you immediately, Margie. <laughs> oh, sorry. Sorry about that. <laughs> well, well, if you can time you know, travel back. We decided to make no, our, lives, our lives simpler by not podcasting every week. I don't care if we podcast twice a month or put it out today or tomorrow. You can always come here and see Margie's work if you miss it in Atlanta. Oh, and this podcast is going out right away, folks. <laughs> well, I have a mystic stamp of excellence, and it's also artsy-fartsy. I went to Atlanta. I guess that's the sea of all art this month. Saw the immersive Van Gogh exhibit, which was amazing, and I... Um, think everyone should go. It's actually in Decatur, Georgia, which is part of Atlanta. Mm -hmm. I will say the one thing that blew my tiny mind was the virtual reality, which I have never experienced before. And they put those goggles on me and I started laughing hysterically. <laughs> and I know all the attendants were watching this old lady on this stool with the goggles laughing hysterically into the air. But I enjoyed it so much, and that's the immersive Van Gogh. I, I should say, too, that the gallery that I'm in is like three blocks away from the immersive Van Gogh. There yeah, you go. So, see y'all yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> Marion, what are you stamping with your Mystic Excellence stamp today? Those Mystic salads we ate Wednesday night. Oh, man, they were so good. Tell us about them. Well, why don't we just each tell what we did? I made lentil salad. It was delicious. Gail? Well, I made a tomato onion pie, but I had made it two days earlier, and so I put it in the refrigerator, and I've never served tomato pie cold, but I swear it's better. It was delicious. I, it was better. It became a creamy tomato pie. It was unreal. Uh, I made the decision to get Publix tabbouleh, which was excellent. Yes, it, it was. was. And your um, M&M salad was Oh, yeah, I made M&M salad. Yes. <laughs> it was four that different was so kinds good. of M&Ms. It was delicious. <laughs> yes, a shout out salad. to yeah. my former co-worker, Quincy Hamilton. Quincy, thank you for that recipe. <laughs> Katie, what would um, you bring? I made um, a salad with couscous and um, tomatoes and other things that were in my refrigerator. So it just mixed it together. You know, Does couscous so. grow in Alabama? I don't think so. <laughs> I'm going to call that refrigerator salad. I thank you. Because my yes. tomatoes are grown out my back door. Yeah. <laughs> what about Margie? What did you bring? I, I did the salad that I always bring, which mm -hmm. is chopped up romaine, cherry tomatoes or grape tomatoes, red onion, avocado, and feta cheese. And it is delicious. Let's tell our audience why we were bringing salads. It's our we, the mystic our mystic meeting. Yeah. And tell them, Joanne. I was going to say it was our mystic meeting, and I have to maybe I'll give Margie's salad because it's a regular at our meetings. My stamp of excellence because you don't even need dressing mm -mm. on Margie's salad. It's so creamy and so good. I brought what what I bring is in this the summertime is what comes out of the garden. So I made a cucumber. Onion, Vidalia onion. That was sweet onion. Actually, I guess I can't grow Vidalias. I'm not in Vidalia, Georgia. But Auburn Dahlias. Yeah, Auburn Dahlias. <laughs> Auburn Dahlias. <laughs> and tomato salad. And it was just simple. simple it was lovely, good. though. Yes. Very delicious. You. But wait, why did we make those salads? Because I, don't, I got tired of making the uh, main course. Oh. So I s always send out a note now that says, y'all make something because I'm not going to. And this time it was salad. I was trying to, you know, tweak it a bit. Yeah, it was good. But I always end up making something. I go, oh, the mystics are coming. <laughs> well, 
Well, we enjoyed that leftover tomato pie. Well, it one was leftover great. was a whole pie made just for you guys. It was good. And it was old. just made cold. Yeah, it was wonderful. So, Joanne, was that your stamp of excellence as well as your... It was. Okay, stamp excellent. stamp of excellence was everybody's salad and Margie's salad in particular because I am addicted to Margie's salad. Okay. <laughs> well, Katie, what's your mystic stamp of excellence today? I am so glad to be able to give a stamp of excellence to a show that my husband and I just finished watching watching and we cannot wait till the next season comes out it's called Hacks and it stars Jean Smart um, who was in Designing Women do y'all remember her from Designing Women she's also was the mother in the most recent the mayor of Easttown Um, but this is a story it's she plays a comedian who's sort of at the end of her career who's in Las Vegas and trying to hold on to her career and she accidentally becomes gets a in a partnership with a young comedian who has apparently tweeted something very inappropriate and now her career has has crashed she's more the younger one's more of a writer but anyway it is it's funny but it's also just heartbreaking in mm. a great way so i can highly recommend Hacks. i've never it's been un- heartbroken in a great way yeah well yes. it's it's yeah <laughs> well what network it's Is on hbo hbo <laughs> yeah it's an hbo so it's a oh yeah, yeah. we have hbo mm-hmm. for, a, started, for a while now i started to ask what channel it was yeah. on. <laughs> that doesn't mean anything i have a feeling my hbo will be going away someday soon and mm, after that's uh, mystic. to quote the um the magnolias laughter through tears is my favorite emotion so being heartbroken in a great way oh, i yeah. understand I, I should say too that there is a great interview with her terry gross's fresh air so catch that because she really yeah. talks a lot about her life and it's it's and also the show mm-hmm. so. terry gross fresh air yeah okay jean smart is who's yeah jean, jean smart. smart she yeah. interviews yeah. Okay. jean yeah. smart I love Fresh Air, and you can get those podcasts all the time. So, Yeah, there's a million of them. And every time somebody dies, the best part is that you're going to hear their interview with Terry Gross. Mm-hmm. How come Terry Gross hasn't interviewed us? Hmm. 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 The mystics want to know. We're reaching out to Terry Gross. <laughs> Terry. So I have a stamp of excellence, and that is the Summer Smash movie called Summer of Soul. And I'd assume that every single person who's wise enough to be listening to this podcast has also seen the movie. But just in case there's anybody out there who hasn't, and I'm glaring at the mystics around the table as I say this, it's really so good. I think I'll go back to see it in the theater. It's the uncovered Harlem um, Music Festival from 1969. It was called the Harlem Cultural Festival. It took place over several weekends. And the movie was made by... The man who calls himself Questlove. He's the musical director for the band The Roots. And it's footage from the cultural festival, and it's been sitting on a shelf for 50 years. No TV show or anybody was interested in it because it featured black artists singing and rejoicing about being black. It is so fantastic. So if you want to see maybe the Staple Singers and Mahalia Jackson, Sly and the Family Stone. Oh, my gosh. Human Scala blew it away. And uh, Nina Simone singing like you just wouldn't believe. It just goes on and on. And with every act, your jaw drops again. And one more little stamp of excellence about it is they brought in some people who had been there, including some of the acts, to watch the footage, and they were just crying. It had almost become a thing of myth, like they didn't know it had even happened because it had been buried for 50 years. 
So everybody's out celebrating Woodstock, this and that, and there was this whole other gorgeous festival happening. So there's my <laughs> mystic stamp of excellence. I think we've already done the mystic bites. Uh, basically, yeah. Basically. Well, did anybody else have something to say as we go down our list and talk about Mystic Bites? And maybe somebody had prepared I, something I to say? I just want to say that if you want a recipe, just let us know. And Mary can send you the recipe for those M&Ms. Yeah. And, uh, but let us know if you want the tomato pie or the margie or anyone's recipe. What did you make? Well, when? Wednesday night. <laughs> Lentil salad. Lentil salad. <laughs> Marion wanted to share something, though, about a mystic say that, bite. that twice over the past week or so, I've had chanterelles foraged by first mystic sister Joanne and then by mystic son. Yeah. And they have been absolutely wonderful, cooked in butter and wine and garlic powder, So and served over angel hair. I'm so glad you lived. I have, if you need more, let me know. I've not only got them all out at my dad and Janie's, but apparently I've tracked some spores back home because now they're all around where we park the car. I've, I think I've had the same, uh, uh, a chowder made with those and then also cooked with butter and wine. And, and for Did those, you make it, Margie? No, my, my son did. Oh. He, yeah, he foraged them and came over and cooked them. And for those of you who may not know, chanterelles are a lovely little... Oh, peach, um, salmon-colored mushrooms that grow this time of year. They have not grown before. Do they grow out of cow patties? No, they do not. Not even psilocybin grows out of cow patties anymore. Curse you. Antibiotics. Antibiotics. You're kidding. No. Antibiotics in cows have stopped psilocybin from growing. You, only you, doper Joanne, would know this. Doper? No, no, no. She's not a doper. She's a mycologist. Exactly. It's being the mycologist. I also found some pearl oysters, but they were in baby stages, so I did not pick them. Well, but there's a couple, and I've seen a lot of boletes out this year. I mean, it's been since we've had the, thank you, I guess global warming since we've had so many torrential rains the mushroom family has just exploded as y'all can see joanne is definitely a renaissance woman joanne i wish you were on facebook i've i've belonged to so many mushroom groups just for the pictures and they're just so beautiful so beautiful one of the most beautiful mushrooms that i have seen of late has been the jackson american caesar which starts coming out of a little white egg looking thing as a red button and then shoots up and it is red in the middle yellow on the outside it's absolutely is it can you eat it red like shiny i've got some in my yard i thought somebody had put jewels or gemstones in my yard you can they are quote edible but I would do it that with a caution, very much. You should eat all mushrooms with caution, especially wild mushrooms, because like oysters and shrimp and many things we enjoy, the mushrooms pick up whatever they're growing on. Mm. And so you want to be careful. You don't want to eat mushrooms off of a toxic waste dump. So and you should only <laughs> where, eat. Where are those located in Auburn, those toxic waste dumps? Plenty. Well, that'll be another story. If you're going to eat wild mushrooms, only eat one type at a time. Don't, you know, make yourself a melange of mushroom because what I can eat, Queen Gale may not be able to eat or Mystic Marion may not be able to eat. Dr. Folkert's taught 
that in 1972, and I never, ever, ever forgot it. What, only eat one mushroom no, type that, at a time? No, that, that everybody at this table could eat the same mushroom, and we could have six different reactions to it. Oh, I don't want to have any reaction to it. Well, well you, wow. might not. you might not. You know, talking about toxic waste, I had this <laughs> brain fart from when I Gail, first language went to language today. I know. <laughs> Is that the worst today? Not um, yet. When I was working, I was a graduate student, and I was working where Auburn University had their accelerator, and they had this big mound of dirt and grass over the accelerator, so I guess if anything toxic leaked out. And, but anyway, the football team, after lunch, would come and sunbathe on the top of this. So naturally, we would set <laughs> off all the bells <laughs> and see who was the fastest runner on the team, and we go, oh... He's going to be good for making touchdowns. <laughs> Acceleration. Yeah. Katie, did you want to say something about a mystic bite? Uh, not a bite, but I do want to mention something I just saw that's okay. rather mystical. So for those of you who are in podcast land, we are sitting at Gail's amazing table looking out her equally amazing back windows, and there are hummingbirds coming and going and other birds on her feeders. And just as I was looking up, I saw this ginger cat out there Uh-oh. too. And Gail does not own a cat. That's right? Okay. Anyway, it was quite a, it was like we had hummingbirds and then other birds and then a cat. We, uh, which I think may be related. You yeah. know, I think that right, yes. may be here for her. Not We're just a mystical he, cat. We're hoping he uh, rids of, of chipmunks, not birds. But we, Bob, my husband, the Mystic King, puts bread out every day, hoping the crows will come. We enjoy watching them pick it up, take it to the bird bath, soak it, eat it, talk about it. So, he did that this morning, and I looked out, and Bo the cat was eating every piece of bread on oh, the no. So Bo's had Bo. his lunch and dinner. Well, was there anybody else that had something to say about Mystic Bites before we move on to the meat of our uh, the meat of our meeting? I was going to say this podcast? is probably a great digression, but that made me think of Gail and the Mystic King sit at the table watching birds and the Mystic Prince took a picture of both of them one time, (laughs) both of them looking out the window with binoculars and going, I swear I did not stage this photo. (laughs) (laughs) And actually, um, as as has been the case through the whole podcast, I'm off my outline. We have a whole other section about the Mystic Sea and the Mystic Sea, which is about what we see when we travel to the sea. Yes. Gail travels a lot. I'm about to go to Washington, and I'll tell you all all about that later. Okay. Anybody else have travel tales this week or month? Oh, this is a mystical travel tale, and this is um, some traveling that Jimmy and I did some time ago. We went to Elberton, Georgia and saw the Georgia Guidestones. They've been Mm. called the American Stonehenge. Yeah. And a mysterious man, a mystical man, hired uh, Elberton is considered the granite capital of the United States. He went and um, had this stone monstrosity built. It's huge. It sits out in a cow pasture, and nobody knew who the guy was. He made up a name of Mr. Christian when they asked him for a name. Gosh, everybody in Alabama just about has that same name. They want to anyway. (laughs) But there are, on the stones are written in English, Spanish, Swahili, Hindi, Hebrew, Arabic, traditional Chinese, and Russian. Basically, things to live by. Some of them maintain humanity under 500 million 
in perpetual balance with nature. Did Mr. Christian write all this? He did. He, he may very well be the only Christian around. <laughs> yeah, he says, unite humanity with a living new language. Protect people and nations with fair laws and just courts. Avoid peri, uh, petty laws and useless officials. <laughs> and the, the last is, do not be a cancer upon the earth. Oh, I love it. I think I'm we should a take a mystic trip. I'm a cancer oh, oh, oh. upon the earth, aren't you, Katie? You're, Katie's a cancer. We didn't mean, we did, he didn't mean your astrological no, he sign. He says, do not be a cancer upon the earth. Leave room for nature. Leave room for nature. And all of us do that. How beautiful. Yeah. Look out your what backyard. Did, what town is that near? Elberton is, I guess, Savannah. You could. Uh, oh, it's way over there. Yes. Okay, I'm going to stop on my way to Edisto next exactly. time. Exactly. Look for it. I didn't even say all of it. Around the top, there are certain things written in hieroglyphics and Aramaic. I mean, it's just a wonder to behold. It truly is. Well, I've seen pictures of it on that Facebook. So um, <laughs> I need to mention, since you know, Gail and I both have the astrological sign of cancer, and last night I was. In taking the garbage cans out to the road, <laughs> and I looked up, and there was Venus in the sky, way off in the thing. And I have Skyfinder, one of those great apps on your phones, and so I opened it up to look, and I'll we'll have to post this picture. It showed the crab, the Cancer crab, was moving toward Venus last night. So awesome. oh. I don't know what that means astrologically, Ooh. but um, but it was fun. It was fun. I to fell see. asleep at six, so I missed it. <laughs> well. Folks and fans, this brings us to the readings. The mystics are all going to read a little bit of our works for you. So without further ado, I'm just going to call on a mystic who looks ready to read, and we're going to hear from them. And Gail, you look ready to read. I'm always ready to read. Let's hear it. Uh, I would like to say about this that someone told me they'd been listening to our podcast, and they particularly enjoyed the one where we read. So I said to the mystics, have we read on the podcast? Because I don't remember it if we have. So hence, we're doing this now. I'm only reading half of this fan, so you'll buy the book when it comes out. Um, so leave a little for you to uh, purchase. Okay, this is a short story called Inspiration Oaks. I have visited many a questionable place and traveled some lengthy roads in pursuit of art finds. This search was a repeat. I found my way to River, to River Road before. How many years? Maybe eight, maybe it was 10. With a measure of trepidation, I turned into a canopy of weighted trees and rutted earth road. I was alone as Robert, my husband, opted to stay behind at the shore, exempted by the calm sea with the possibility of fish. I was feeling vulnerable, alone, and unnerved, yet willing to handle the trepidation for a visit with Florence and perhaps purchase her art, a swampy version of Grandma Moses. The first time I saw Florence Landry, she was suspended in wait at the end of a sad driveway, no telling how long Florence had taken up sentry, standing like all time in a pair of kids that had started life white and heels untrodden. Although all of Florence was, in a word, interesting, her dress, and particularly ancient apron, size for a bigger woman, was an exact twin of my grandmother's calico back-crossing pinafore. Balancing this outfit was a pair of owl glasses with one frosted lens. 
Florence resembled an asylum inmate that had slipped her charges. <laughs> I was late. My given directions were otherworldly. Here you are, she said. Don't mind how I look. I've been putting up jars of about everything, tomatoes mostly. She took my hand and continued. Now don't let me scare you, and she pointed to the opaque glass and continued. I ain't got a right eye, but the left is good. <laughs> Most times I forget to even put on my company glasses. I'm navigating from memories of this first encounter. As I move through the model shadows by the detrius of gnarled trees and dark secrets, I lose my confidence in finding my way by recall. I remember the house, set low against the winds and landmarked by the netted wings of a rough-hewn shrimper's boat tethered to a ramshackle dock. The voice of my GPS suddenly urges me, return to the road. <laughs> and the voice of good sense and reason agreed. <laughs> so far, there was nothing familiar on my route. Certain I was lost, I looked for a turnaround that didn't even seem to be a possibility. Eventually, the boggy road arched to follow the river. A house appeared through the miasma of Spanish moss and dark secrets. The first house passed the clearing, Florence had said those years ago. This must be it, I thought. Yet, no shrimp boat, and furthermore, no pier stood as a landmark. Chilled by uncertainty, I pulled onto an ancient gravel that combined with hard root and lurking moss constituted the driveway. On the long black porch sat four river folk, still as ramparts, with their eyes on the water and their judgment on me. I directed the car as close as I dared to the anchored inhabitants. Hello, I shouted in my best, I come to you in friendship voice. <laughs> Silence. The only reply, single cry from an osprey, punctuating the gravity of the circumstances. Finally, as stiff and deliberate as automatons, all four heads turned solemnly to stare at the intruder, who had come in peace. Amazingly, their torsos were still facing the channel. Is this the Theo Landry place, I bravely continued. No sound but the river's humming, and perhaps my heart quaking. The air seemed too thin to breathe, and the osprey had wisely vanished. Theo Landry, I repeated. The nearest grisly soul stood from his seat, causing the rocker to metronome, perhaps by royal ogre decree. He was a man of sinewy bulk, aged by the sun and hard times. He stared through my soul and muttered just above hearing one word, dead. <laughs> The three Gollum-esque companions nodded toward the river, giving validation to the passing away of Mr. Theo. Is Miss Florence here, I weathered on. His chin lifted up by some invisible marionette string, his eyes piercing through slits. She don't know you. Why, yes, I said sweetly. I bought her art many times. The giant found his voice. She don't know herself, he brayed. <laughs> And with that, a beefy finger pointed at the return of the road. The monolith lowered himself into the chair, having dismissed the interruption, and turned toward whatever fascination the river held. I, I do wish y'all could see that we were all acting out as Gail was reading. <laughs> yes, we were turning our heads and we lifting our chins and pointing. Yes. We were we were doing a great job being the monoliths. That's right. Well, 
I, I did not see it because I was endeavoring to try to read read good. Yeah. No, I can't wait to hear how that story ends. Well, me too. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Do I have a volunteer to read next or shall I just call on one of you like a middle school teacher? Oh, Margie's waving her hand. Come on, Margie. I thought I would get this over with. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. This comes from a book we're working on about memoirs of our lives. And this comes from my eighth grade diary. So here we go. <laughs> September 7th, 1962. I am in eighth grade at W.F. Dykes High School in Atlanta, Georgia. I am a sub-freshman since my school has students from eighth through twelfth grade. High school is so different than elementary school. We change classes, have different teachers, and there are so many students. The seniors resemble adults. The females have huge breasts, tiny waist, and bouffant hairstyles that Marie Antoinette would envy. The males are muscular football players with giant necks, bulging biceps, and tight butts. I feel so out of place at this school. I am skinny and flat-chested with thin dark hair and cat-eye glasses. There are no signs that my breasts will start to grow. I haven't even had a period. I must start working on a plan for my transformation to beauty and acceptance. <laughs> September 9th. I asked my mother to buy me a padded bra. I saw it today at Woolworths. It was a B-cup made of rigid material so that the bra stuck out to nice cone points. I tried it on, and of course my flat chest just rested behind the air-filled cups. These cups are very firm, so I won't have to stuff socks into them. <laughs> I'll just put it on and wow, bosoms. My mother refused to buy me that bra. She argued that my triple-A training bra was just fine. When my boobs grew, we would see about another bra. September 28th, I've been saving my coins and finally have enough to buy that bra. I decided to get the C cup and really make a statement. Of course, I'll have to hide it in my book bag and put it on in the restroom when I get to school. Cannot wait to wear it next week. I should wear a sweater. <laughs> October 3rd, my first day of wearing my new bra. It doesn't fit that well under my shirt. I'm getting used to wearing it before I wear a tight sweater. I pull the cups up kind of high for maximum effect. It's kind of like my breasts come directly out of my collarbone. I think I look good. I got some glances from some ninth grade boys who had never noticed me before. I'm getting up my nerve to hang around some guys during lunch. Wish me luck. I've also stopped wearing my glasses between classes and at lunch. It's a little hard to see what's happening in a distance, but I can see pretty well up close. October the 10th. Have I ever mentioned how much I detest Nancy Thompson? I will hate her forever. It's difficult for me to even record what a vile act she inflicted on me during lunch today. One day I may look back on today and laugh, but I doubt it. So I was standing, chatting with some real friends, edging towards the table where the football players were sitting. I had on my cream-colored pullover sweater and was kind of sticking out my chest for maximum effect. Out of nowhere, Nancy appeared and walked toward me. She extended her index fingers and poked me directly in the center of each of my C-cups. My fake bosoms indented dramatically and remained in that position for several seconds until they suddenly popped back into shape. Nice boobs, Margie, she said. That said that evil witch. Everyone in the vicinity burst into laughter. I quickly got the hell out of the lunchroom and ran to the restroom. My face was so red, like I had the worst sunburn of my life. 
I headed for a stall and removed that stupid bra. I hated that bra. I hated Nancy Thompson. And I hated myself for being such a fool. I threw the bra in the trash can and headed for my next class. I put my glasses back on in a Clark Kent move, hoping no one in my class would recognize me as the same humiliated girl in the lunchroom. October 24th. It's been several weeks since the bra incident. I've gone back to my training bra. I've started wearing cardigan sweaters over my button-down collar shirts to create a sense of mystery. My mother brought me a baby blue Bobby Brooks matching shirt, skirt, and sweater combo. I'm feeling pretty sharp. November 14th. Judy Swain, my best friend, and I have purchased wide leather belts in several colors that we can tighten to make our waist look really small. Judy is extremely petite, so she can stench up her belt, creating a scarlet O'Hara waist. I am giving myself a stomachache. My mother, <laughs> my mother told me I was ruining my intestines. Why is beauty so painful? That was excellent. I have to, uh, Margie shared that at one of our mystic meetings, and my youngest son, who is 20-something, came into the kitchen while she was <laughs> reading and looked at her and listened for about two seconds and then got the hell out of Dodge. <laughs> oh, he should know what price beauty women suffer. Not Thank anymore. You, Mystic Not Margie. anymore. Oh, we're all liberated. <laughs> I've come to my senses. <laughs> the the, uh, the listening audience will be happy to know that we did not act out all the parts to that story. <laughs> Just you with your shirt. Is <laughs> <laughs> that why you were taking pictures? <laughs> oh, darn. Marion, would you like to read your piece now? We'd love to hear it. I'll be happy to. Thank you. This is, um, like Margie said, we're supposed to be writing memoir, and, and Gail has advised that we write about different stages of our lives. And so this is the one, because I wanted it to fit there, I made early childhood. Long before wild-eyed Judge Janine and pony-riding Roy Moore made spectacles of the robe, I realized that judges are not necessarily just, wise, or even qualified. My first encounter with judges, mind you, had nothing to do with the judicial system. They were community leaders who presided over the Little Miss Bluff City pageant when I was in second grade. It seemed a travesty to my seven-year-old mind that Linda McEwen won the contest because she was not prettier, more congenial, or more talented than the rest of us. She wasn't even from here. She was a move-in, a passer-through, whose daddy had a job at the radar base. I was baffled. Maybe she prayed to win, I reasoned, thoughts and prayers. Her crowning, forgive the pun, peccadillo in my child mind, was that she wore her mousy hair rolled in pink sponge rollers to school the day of the contest. Along with smoking on the street, having fake fingernails, accessorizing with rhinestones during the daylight hours, picking one's nose or scabs, and licking an ice cream cone in public, Wearing curlers to school was a sure indicator of bad taste in Alabama in 1961. Girls weren't allowed to wear long pants to school, even in the coldest of winter. But Linda was given a pass on wearing curlers to school at Buffs, Bluff City Elementary and then rewarded with the title that evening. I wondered if the local citizens named us impartial judges, a coach, a businessman, and a music teacher knew that she cleaned her fingernails with her teeth, and probably <laughs> vice versa. 
My mama and Mama Brown had bought yards and yards of pink net and several spools of pink velvet ribbon that they tediously sewed pink fabric rosebuds to as the garnish for the dress I would wear to compete for the title of Little Miss Bluff City. I know they must have been disappointed too. Of course, I knew if I said a word about not winning, I'd be reprimanded for sour grapes. Truthfully, I didn't really blame Linda. I only wanted that tiara because it sparkled so pretty when the overhead lights in the auditorium frolicked around on its rhinestones. Linda and I were just little girls growing up in a world that taught us to compete against each other for things that sparkled. The adults involved were the ones who lacked judgment. The travesties I've seen justices sanction over the years have been far more devastating than a second grader with an eye for a rhinestone tiara could even imagine. Long ago, I traded in my longing for a shiny crown for a razor-sharp box cutter that I wear in my shoe. (laughs) (laughs) So excellent. I do have a question. Um, Have there been any long-term effects from that second-grade pageant? Like, did you do, did you make any kind of, like, physical manifestation of your longing to win, Marion? Well, you Please don't ask Marion these questions, because you know the answer. (laughs) You know the answer. You are baiting her. You know that Diana Perdita, my child mannequin, sits in the living room wearing the dress that I wore in the pageant made by my mom and Mama Brown, and she wears a tiara because I corrected history. Uh, Thank you. I I think (laughs) that the listening audience needs to know that, and maybe we'll get a picture of her up soon. Thank you, Mary. Have we put any pictures up? Mm Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Mm Mm-hmm. She says. Mm -hmm. She doesn't say what? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we have pictures up. Are they porn? Yep. You should check out the Facebook page. I should point out that today, Marion is wearing a peace symbol headband. It's a tiara. It's a tiara. (laughs) Joanne, would you read us your story, please, or your memoir, or whatever it is you're going to read today? And to add to uh, Margie's comment, it is a tiara, but no rhinestones, because it is the daytime. Thank you. Hmm. Um, Coincidentally, Marion and I, who are the same age, wrote about the same era. I wrote about 1961. Who is that, I asked. My father smiled. That is the old man of the mountain. As our 1960 Chevrolet station wagon slowly passed the hiker, my brother David leaned over me and out the window. Hello, old man of the mountain. David, get back in the car, my mother chided. The man walking at a steady pace, a staff as long as he was tall in his hand, was dressed in a long black coat and had a dark brown backpack. His hair was long and gray, fading to white, and topped with a wide-brim black fedora. His beard was the same color and lay on his chest like a bib. He ignored my brother's greeting as we drove by. Cool air blew into the car. I had my head resting on the door, and the breeze tangled my blonde hair. My four brothers and I shared the back seat. Behind us was two weeks of grocery and all the camping gear we would need for our vacation in the Maine woods. Being the oldest, I had claimed one of the car's windows. My oldest brother, Jimmy, had the other. He and David were both six and would be for the next month. David had just had his birthday June 20th, but Jimmy would not turn seven until July 24th. Then Jimmy and I would be twins for two weeks before I turned eight. In between Jimmy and David, Peter dozed, and Mark, the youngest, was wedged in between. My parents had 
loaded us an already packed car early that morning. The hum of the long stretch of driving Interstate 95 from Rhode Island to Maine soon had us dozing or asleep again, but the bump and jostle of us leaving paved highway brought us all awake. The scenery changed from asphalt and blasted rock to gravel and trees, with the occasional lone boulder sitting in the middle of a grassy field. As our drive climbed, the road narrowed and twisted. The car windows went down and we absorbed the landscape. We began following along a river, wider than the road we were on. Dad stopped at a log and stone building, disappeared inside, and soon emerged with a man dressed in brown with a hat like Smokey Bear. He smiled and waved on us, as we pulled away and continued up the winding dirt trail where we saw the old man. Farther down, my father pulled into a clearing in the forest. We tumbled out of the car to view our surroundings. The opening was defined by trees, pines, and oaks on three sides. The smell of pine and earth perfumed the area. Across the trail we had driven up was a field of tall grass and wildflowers, and beyond the river we ran and leaped like lambs in spring. I gathered yellow, red, white, and blue flowers until my hands could hold no more. We were reined in by my father's voice. Let's get this car unloaded. The days were sunny and warm, and we had, as we had always been our own playmates, and we explored and rambled in the woods and by the river. When we were called for lunch, I saw something furry in the tall grass. As I approached, a rabbit looked up from the flower it was munching, I stepped quietly toward it until I was within a hand's reach and squatted down in front of it. The bunny continued eating while watching me. There we sat for some minutes studying each other until a rowdy brother ran up to reannounce lunch was ready. Several nights later, as my brothers poked at coals in the fire ring, the old man of the mountain came into our camp asking to eat heat water on the fire. My brother David immediately brightened and took a seat on the ground right by him. My father invited him in and offered him what was left of our dinner. He declined, stating he was orthodox, a word I had never heard before. After some introductions, he and my father began one of those adult conversations that I could only follow in bits about God, the chosen people, and Jesus. My brothers and I watched open-mouthed as he made his tea with water he boiled in a tin can and poured molasses over saltines. Sometimes the syrup would drip down onto his gray-white beard. The glow of the fire on his face and my father's made them seem timeless and ethereal. As my younger siblings' heads began to nod, Mom gathered us all into bed. While the discussion continued around the campfire, the next day, the old man was gone. I love the old man in the mountain, of the mountain. You don't have a picture of him, do you, Joanne? No, that was, I was only eight. And that right there is the reason I love. But didn't to go you have camping. a brownie camera? My daddy had a brownie camera. We were not allowed to touch it. Was he seen, was he like a, a, a known figure around that area or was he just something y'all? As I remember, he was just a traveler. I mm-hmm. mean, he was just one of these who wandered kind of like T.P. Joe. Yeah. Um, who would wander and um, through the main woods. How oh, is T.P. Joe? Yeah. He's out wandering around in West Alabama. There you go. Flattened musk turtles. Hey, T.P. Joe. Why is he looking for flattened turtles? That's his job. He's a researcher with Auburn University. Is this they're flattened because the car hit them? No, dear. It's in their DNA. (laughs) (laughs) 
That's why Margie was flattened. <laughs> Katie, do you have a story for us today that you'll read? I do. You know, we were talking before we started the podcast that as we were looking for stories. It was trying to find one that seemed appropriate to read. And everything that I have seems terrible when <laughs> I think about reading it out loud to people. <laughs> but I know. It's just the, the curse of a writer is that, you know, it's never good enough, is it? Never. No. 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 Never. But this story came from the early days of COVID when we were all sequestered. One of our prompts was to write about something that was going on. So this came up then. And, you know, we've met today Bo the cat. So this one is called Michael the dog. What happens around us when we're not looking? How much do we miss that's right before our eyes? Like many other during COVID's early days, I began to ask myself those questions in early April 2020, after I looked out my back window and saw a yellow dog, a part lab, part who knows what creature, trotting through my yard. Not that it was unusual for a dog to come through the yard, but when they do, our three dogs usually sound an alarm that can be heard throughout the neighborhood. This dog was right in front of them, yet they said nothing. When I stepped out the door to speak to the dog, it shied away from me, very unlab-like and dashed deeper into the neighborhood without so much as a glance over its shoulder. I might have forgotten about it entirely, except the next day it was back, and the next, and the next. It was usually nosing around the shrubbery and carport like it was curious, not hungry. Never, though, did it let me lay a hand on it. I began to monitor its activity, which didn't seem to be scheduled, but was regular. Every time he came, my dogs didn't raise a single bark. In fact, one day, I watched as the dog strolled up to the fence where my dogs were pinned, they greeted the chap eagerly, but not with barks. They wagged tails and touched noses through the fence, acting much like Kroger shoppers when they run into an acquaintance in the bread aisle. <laughs> Too busy to stop for long, but wanted to say hello. I was intrigued. How had they met? How long had they known one another? What was it about this dog that pleased rather than riled mine? No one was talking. It was a mystery. A couple of weeks later, however, the sleuths, slash nosy bodies of my next door online network began working the case. Mm -hmm. Quote, lost dog, dot, 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 won't let me near, hanging around neighborhood a few days, was the first post. Hum, other people must be seeing this same dog, probably people just like me who stuck, home, stuck at home by COVID and having run out of other distractions were suddenly paying attention to their surroundings. Mm -hmm. I clicked on the photos and yep, it was the same dog but its identity remained an, a universal mystery. A month and 42 comments later, many of which were from people who had personally encountered the dog, some of whom were worried, others who were annoyed, its identity was revealed after one neighbor wrote, I've seen a dog similar to this for a few years now. He always comes down Evans up near Beverly. I believe he lives somewhere up there, but I don't know where. Geez, it's been around for years. No wonder my dogs are so chill about its visits. It made me wonder how many other friends they had been having over. Then I thought it's probably better not to know, kind of like the things I'd rather not know from my children's teenage years. Not long after that post came this one. I know the dog you're referring to. His name is Michael, and he does live on Evans. Don't worry, though. He has a family who loves him. That gave me, and I imagine some of my neighbors, a sense of comfort. It also ended Michael's rambles. I haven't seen him since. I've missed seeing him. I wonder if my dogs do too. Oh, my God. <laughs> That's perfect after you saw my visitor, Bo. Exactly. exactly. Bo, Bo goes to every house in the neighborhood and begs for food. 
and obviously is successful. <laughs> there was a good little article that made its way around called There's a Wolverine in My Neighborhood, and I'm ashamed to say right now, I can't remember who wrote it, but I think it was posted by the man who goes by the bearded biologist. I think I've got that right. But it was about the conversations on next door, and there were all these arguments in some neighborhood about it can't be a Wolverine, it must be a this or it must be a that. And his end, his end take on it was don't be upset and mad about all the people who don't know anything about wildlife and they're talking about it on next door. Rather, rejoice because people are paying attention to wildlife in a way they never have. I think it was a jaguarundi. Mm-hmm. Maybe. Yeah. You know, we have a turkey that wanders our neighborhood, Gail. Oh, we been to the, well, we it's the too. same turkey. We I, live in the I, same neighborhood. I've got pictures of it sitting on top of my Yaris. Yeah. And it's bigger than the Yaris. Yeah, she's huge. She. Many people call her Henrietta. Some people call her Maud. Uh, I have to keep. I, can I put that picture on the? I'll, I'll oh, absolutely! Send you and the if turkey you, on the yard. Our next door app has tons of pictures of her. She's she comes and visits our house. Needless to say, and I've had to tell TV Joe do not shoot that turkey. <laughs> She's a pet. At so, our yeah. last, it, is TP Joe's name that because he lives in a TP? That's what we call yes, him to um, avoid Is he anything confusion. like Lightfoot? Let's just have a whole podcast about T.P. Joe. Oh, I haven't met We'd him yet. We'd have to ask that's him. That's okay. We'll, well turn him we into bring him, Why don't we bring okay. him here and let him be a guest on our podcast? Let's do. Would he be amenable? I don't know. Let's would he be interesting? <laughs> yes, he's oh, very yes, he would. <laughs> <laughs> do you have a story to read, Mary? I do. It's called Beyond the Grave Greens. When you've been with the mystics long enough, you realize all of a sudden you're writing recipe stories without meaning to. (laughs) Okay, here's my story. Collard greens remind me of my father. He used to make them up in the big silver pressure cooker with a hissing and jiggling valve on the lid. As the house filled with the stench of cooking greens, he'd wrinkle his nose and say, Smell that pot liquor? I hated greens when I was little, and my awful brother would sneak his stinky greens onto my plate when the grown-ups weren't paying attention, which was all the time. This only made me hate them more. That's the greens, by the way, not the (laughs) grown-ups. Along about that time I turned 30, my taste buds changed, and I began to love Daddy's greens. Every New Year's Day, I'd get the call from him. Are you eating your black-eyed peas and greens? That was the invitation to come out to the house for the good luck meal. We'd pile into the kitchen, me, my husband, our three little dogs, and, oh, wait a minute, our three little girls, <laughs> and some dogs. <laughs> Did you have three dogs? Sorry, but who knows? Actually, she does. <laughs> okay, with some of our children, I guess, and some dogs, only to be greeted by the rascally stench of the pot liquor and my dad's own collection of dogs. Smells good, Daddy, I'd say. Jose, he'd say to my husband, Joe, can I get you a snort? He'd pour himself a drink, one jigger of Evil Willie, one jigger of water, three ice cubes, and then he'd make the same for Joe. Daddy died a few years ago after a decline, which began on New Year's Eve 2016. He was in the ICU on New Year's Day, and I'm quite sure he didn't get his hopping John, and who knows how things might have gone if he had. Now every New Year's Day is a poignant reminder that he's gone. While he did give me the exact and perfect recipe for his nightly toddy, he never passed on his recipe for greens. All I know is that they were cooked in the big pressure cooker and, like all good southern vegetables, had a pinch of sugar mixed in. Forgive me, but after Daddy died, I resorted to eating glory greens out of a can on New Year's Day. (laughs) They're not bad. 
I confessed to a friend that I liked them almost as much as daddy's greens, and I was scolded sharply. Don't you ever tell anyone you like canned greens as much as your daddy's. Ouch. Joe, who was our designated grocery shopper during the global pandemic, came home one day with all the makings for meatloaf, mashed potatoes, and an enormous bag of collard greens. Now, I can make some excellent meatloaf and mashed potatoes, but I was stumped about the collards. Tomorrow, I said, putting off the inevitable failure of my attempt at collard greens. That night, I dreamed that Daddy came over to help me make the greens. There was no feeling of impending doom or strangeness that often accompanies dreams about the dead. He simply showed up and did the cooking. And dang, if I still didn't pay attention, I woke up kicking myself. Let's make the greens in that fancy new thing you've got, Joe said when it was time to start cooking. That fancy new thing is an instant pot. I don't have a big silver pressure cooker with a jiggly valve on the lid. Despite the word let's, Joe stayed in the bedroom with his nose to his phone, reading the latest news about the coronavirus. Damn, I heard him say, and then he hollered, hospital's full. That's it. I decided I could do it. I could make the greens. I used a simple recipe with a twist here and a twist there and a big giant ringer, no meat. I massaged the greens with olive oil and apple cider vinegar, something I'm sure my daddy never did. I heard him saying over my shoulder, you need some bacon in there or some fat back. Get you some fat back. And why in tarnation are you using olive oil? I ignored him and added salt and pepper, some mysterious Cajun spice I found in the spice cabinet from who knows where, and of course a pinch of sugar. I cut up a white onion into slivers and mixed it all in. Then I tamped, and mas- I tamped the massaged and seasoned collards down into the instant pot and locked the lid. Good luck in there, I whispered insanely, <laughs> while the ghost of my father rolled his eyes. Guess what? My greens were delicious, and that's one good thing that's come out of this crazy pandemic. All right. The end. I'm almost afraid to ask this question, but I will. Go ahead. What exactly is an evil willy? Evan William. Whiskey. Oh. Evan, yeah. Okay, you're going to have to trade in a southern chip on your southern card or whatever it would be. You're going to have to give back one of oh your no, southern I've heard of evil discs. willies, but you, you didn't drink them. <laughs> going to do about Gail. Gail today has just <laughs> crossed boundaries. I don't understand. <laughs> Last week it was sloppy sliding into the DMs. I think it's that Venus moving into cancer. <laughs> I, I think I'll have to ask our, our Emma, my daughter Emma, our astrological advisor about this. Well, I hope y'all enjoyed all this reading, and that brings us to a round of um, mystic moments, which none of us have ever figured out what they are, but we're going to share them anyway. <laughs> who, who has one to share first? And Everybody's pointing at Joanne, but Every she's looking like she doesn't have Every one. moment is mystical. I'm trying to think of a... Mi- I, you know, this has been such a busy, busy week that... I knew but Joanne would try thinking, to make up a mystic moment. I, Gail, have you, you know, got one? I do. And that, it happened... Okay. Then point happened, to Gail. It happened right <laughs> during our, our recording. Oh. My neighbor, who is... I have wonderful new neighbors, but he does the yard every day. Yeah. And so he decided right when... Uh, Katie was reading to blow off the porch, and he thought he'd be helpful and blow off my porch. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, I heard that. <laughs> 
So I had to go out and tell my wonderful neighbor to please quit being wonderful. Oh, no. <laughs> well, maybe he'll hook up with Joanne's lawnmower and they can go around and that's blow and mow the whole neighborhood. That's not Joanne. That's not that's Joanne. Margie. <laughs> we only look Sorry. alike because we're both wearing mystic hats yeah, today. Yeah, it's so confusing. My mystic moment occurred during this podcast, too. I could not stop my stomach from growling. <laughs> it kept making, I kept passing my microphone off to Marion. I ate, I ate yogurt this well, morning. Well, thank you. Thank you for sharing that and with if, us, Marty. If any of the growls make it on, I am not editing them out. In fact, maybe that's what I'll add to this podcast. Some, some growling. Some stomach growling. I figured when you started talking about those greens, her stomach was going to start back up, so I took the mic. <laughs> Jesus, take the mic. Oh, no, that's the wheel. <laughs> I was just hoping that it would growl as I was talking about Michael, and you would have been just sound effects to go with Michael and the dogs. I have a true mystic moment. Do you want to add? Yeah, okay. my, and be, before, because you have a true mystic moment, but my mystic moment would be that um, about 10 after 10 today, I texted Mary and I said, do we have a podcast today? <laughs> And, and then yesterday she podcasted, I mean, she texted me and said, uh, I'm standing in the place we have Tai Chi and I'm the only person here. <laughs> no, I asked just simply, do we have Tai Chi today? We did not. But Mary told me, yes, we do. And in 20 minutes and then mystically, I threw a hat on and... <laughs> A little. I threw a hat on and a little um, little deodorant. (laughs) Somebody needs to adopt Joanne. And I called Marion, and she was waiting for me in the front yard. Oh, (laughs) Marion, such a trial. I'm sorry I moved from that side of town. Me too. It's just been damned inconvenient. Except we get to share a turkey, Gail. That's right. So okay, this is a crazy mystic moment. I started to do my mystic shout out to slime mold because slime mold is some of the most interesting. Organisms are some of the More most interesting, interesting organisms than evil on the planet. Willy? They're not organisms. That's not an organism. <laughs> well, I just wish I had the evil Willy will kill an organism. That's certainly, <laughs> Gail is unable to contain herself. Okay, so back to slime molds, which are not fungi. They are protists, and they're super, super interesting. And I saw some out at Kiesel Park, and I, I can't wait to see how the slime mold grows because they come together and form a big blob. They They'll sometimes actually fuse their cell membranes and become explaining Mary and become an organism that has one cell, but it's a big blob with thousands of nuclei, which is just incredible (gasps) if you're like me and a science nerd. Anyway, they can also follow labyrinths and they can pass on memories of these labyrinths to future generations of slime molds. They're incredible. So I'd stopped on our walk at Kiesel Park to take pictures of slime molds, and my husband was listening to a podcast on his headphones, and he didn't hear me, or he didn't notice that I had stopped. So I ran to catch up with him and tapped him on the shoulder, said, look at the pictures I've been taking of slime molds. They're so cool. And he's like, oh, they're so cool. And he started listening to his podcast again, which was um, Joe Rogan interviewing Michael Pollan, who's written a new book about plants. And then all of a sudden, Joe stops in his tracks, and he goes, you've got to hear this. And he shares his podcast, and guess what those two guys are talking about? Slime Evil molds. <laughs> Slime molds. And Joe says, listen to what they say. And, of course, everything that they had to say interesting, I already knew it because I'm a bit of a slime mold um, connoisseur. Oh. I just love them. Connoisseur. No, I don't eat them. Okay. Aficionado? There we go. I would pick you a different word. <laughs> so I think 
Golly, Pete, y'all, does that bring us around to the end of our I, I think podcast? We're here. Yes. I think we've we're here. I think end. we've said because the the talk has degenerated at this point. <laughs> I, I think by the time we get around to slime balls, we have lifted it up, up again. Yeah, lifted it up. I see. All right, well, y'all, it's been a pleasure podcasting. I hope you've enjoyed listening, and um, we'll get some pictures up to accompany our uh, podcast. Wait, wait. Yeah, I think that just because you mentioned lifting up, I think you should at some point tell the story of your father when he had hip surgery. Oh, I, that's next podcast. That's next I'm going to do that on okay. the next one. Okay, and y'all help do. remember because it it's hysterically yes, funny it and it gives you something Thank to look forward to. Thank y'all for being the flames and not what? No, no, no. Oh, just, Wait, Would just, you do that again, please? I was just, I was just confirming Katie's. Marion thinks she's in high in holy was, church. She's back there holding up her hands going, can I get an amen? So what were you saying, Gail? I said thank you for being the flames and not the, the moss. moss.